What is going on, New York Giant fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. A couple of things right out there. Boys and the Big Apples now on Wednesdays. It's permanently on Wednesdays. I'm not moving it anymore. I felt that I was really moving it uh, way too much because we had stuff going on in the background with our schedules, and it's really an inconvenience to viewers. So I apologize for that. It's going to be on Wednesdays permanently. For now, I might change my mind, but I really want to stick to Wednesdays. I really want to stick to one date. Same day as Twin Bill, the day it premieres, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on NYY News TV channel. Please listen up. In that episode for the Manscaped promo, as many of you may know, many of you may not know at this point, we are sponsored, at least on Twin Bill, not on here, by Manscaped temporarily. I think it's a trial period, but with that being said, there's a discount, there's a promo code, all that stuff. Just watch the Twin Bill episode, obviously, for the good stuff, and then if you're interested on a discount... On Manscaped products, listen for the code, listen for the reading, all that stuff. Unfortunately, due to strict rules, I cannot advertise it on here or this channel. I guess it's only just an MYY news thing. Uh, you know, I really was going to have the idea of just branching it out in terms of not for this channel, but doing it so I could get more success with Twin Bill and I could get more people to just use the promo code. But obviously, strict rules are strict rules. That's how... We have to live by it, but I'm pretty sure that's it in terms of content updates and all that other stuff. With that being said, I think this is going to be the last episode for a little bit unless something major happens of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast because, as you guys know, last year I took a little break from just podcasting and I focused on Boys and Big Apple and also as well, um, I just did videos because they were shorter a lot more views, a lot more people would pay attention to it. Attention spans a big thing on YouTube. And I would also pay attention for this. I don't know when the MLB season is starting, but pay attention to a possible update or for a possible update regarding me and Sox Arizona. We're thinking about content. We're also thinking about a podcast, a weekly live stream, stuff like that. So if the baseball season does happen and if it starts on time, that's a thing to look for. That is a thing to look for. One Red Sox fan, one Yankees fan, two sides of the country. So it's going to be really interesting if we end up kicking it off. But any of these ideas would not be possible without you guys. Thank you so much. We are halfway to monetization and watch hours. I just wish we really would get more progress in terms of subscribers. But we're at 345, which you really divide that by 10. That's about... Well, at least, you know, percentage-wise, I'm not going to do the whole entire math equation, but that's 34.5% to the way of 1,000 subscribers. That's where monetization begins, and we get to all do all this great stuff. And Super Chats come in, which is something I'm not really focused on, but also we would have to tone down our language because I know YouTube is very, very strict in terms of language once you start making money. But with that being said... And all that shit out of the way. We're going to talk about Brian Dable's press conference. I didn't really do a recap for Joe Shane's press conference. Because I'm like, eh, well, 
I don't know that I'm going to really do anything about it. It's just takeaways, right? But I figured, hey, Brian Dable, let's do some of his takeaways as the head coach, his first public appearance. And with that being said, the Giants have hired a new O-line coach, according to Michael Silver. Now, at the time this premieres, maybe we hire Ken Dorsey. Maybe Ken Dorsey stays as the offensive coordinator in Buffalo. But there's a lot of stuff we got to go over in this video. With that being said, the Giants have hired a new O-line coach, Bobby Johnson, from the Buffalo Bills. I have a feeling that Brian Dable is going to be doing a lot of this with the offensive coaching staff, defensive coaching staff possibly as well. In my opinion, I would bet on Jerome Henderson, the DB's coach, coming back. That's one of the coaches, honestly, I would want to come back. Probably the only one because his position group was really good the last two years of defensive back specifically. So let's get into it. I don't know how long this is going to be. This may be a 20-minute podcast. This may be a 30-minute podcast. But I want to talk about each thing individually. You should have it. The takeaways on the right side of your screen. So one of the things, I'll take a sip real quickly because I've been talking for five minutes straight without water. One of the things that automatically sticks out to me is unless he gets a head coaching job and he is in the final rounds of interviews with the Minnesota Vikings, unless he gets that job and beats out Jim Harbaugh, Patrick Graham is staying as defensive coordinator. Now, Brian Dable worked with him a little bit in New England. He was the tight ends coach. Pat Graham was a defensive assistant, and that was pretty much their tenure. Not working like, okay, yeah, they're working you know, together collaboratively, right? No, they're not doing that. They're in the same building, talks, relationships, stuff like that. And he did mention, Brian Dable, he did mention that He's had a good relationship with Pat Graham. So there's a lot of things to take away about that comment. Multiple multiple reports were literally out Monday morning saying uh, if he doesn't get the head coaching job in Minnesota, he's going to stay as the defensive coordinator, which I like to an extent and some of it I dislike. I'll just throw in the likes than the dislikes. It's continuity that's good in my opinion for the most part. Because Blake Martinez is going to be coming back. I don't know how many overhauls and how many guys they're going to cut. I'm not a psychic. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know how many guys on the defensive side of the ball they're going to cut. But with that being said, it's another turnover. It's another coaching staff. And sometimes you have players who buy into the past coaching staff and what they say. And they don't buy into the new coaching staff and what they say. But if you have Patrick Graham who coached a bright spot and for a team that got, what, 10 wins in two years, bright spot means what it means. It doesn't mean anything too big. But in terms of the defensive side of the ball, when you guys, you know, they got guys like Blake Martinez, Logan Ryan, the leaders on that team, it really means a lot and also means a lot for the young cats because they will work. Joe Shane and Brian Dable will work with Patrick Graham to really fit what he needs, okay? And one of my discrepancies with Graham, we'll go over in a little bit, and it's not even really his fault. But with that being said, I did one out of the candidates, but going back to my point about fitting, Patrick Graham's going to have a voice like he did in the past two years 
And normally, if you got a different defensive coordinator, maybe that defensive coordinator would say, okay, well, I don't like this guy. I don't like that cornerback. I don't like that linebacker. They can get the hell out of here. But being that Patrick Graham, pending the head coaching announcement from the Minnesota Vikings, pending that announcement and he is staying, you're going to see guys come back. Aaron Robinson, Darnay Holmes, Adoree Jackson, James Bradbury, possibly. I'm not going to make too many predictions. Maybe Jalen Smith, Blake Martinez, possibly. If they don't say, let's cut him, let's save the money, even though they're probably not going to spend a lot in free agency. Let's keep Leonard Williams. Let's re-sign Austin Johnson. Get a couple other guys in here. Let's get a number one edge rusher. Let's get another linebacker. There's a lot of things on the table, and I see them as positives because, once again, Brian Dable did say in the press conference, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit just to bring up a point. He said, we're going to start from scratch. I don't think it's completely starting from scratch if you have Pat Graham as a defensive coordinator because I feel like he liked a lot of his guys down the stretch. Aaron Robinson was playing meaningful snaps in man coverage, and that is really what Pat Graham wanted to do early on in 2021. He wanted to play man coverage. And he wanted a blitz. What happened? It was really like the first couple of games, without the blowouts, without the blowouts, I mean, there were blowouts, but it wasn't 43 to nothing and 59 to nothing and all that other stuff. But it really ended up like the Miami situation where they were not getting in the quarterback and the defense was just terrible. Defense was just terrible and he really didn't fix the defense until let's say week seven because that's when you started noticing a consistent trend panthers game chiefs game raiders game buccaneers game that was something else eagles game and then after that they were put in a really bad position for a few games because of quarterback play but if they get him another one edge and a linebacker i won't have a problem with pat graham staying it's just my trepidations, as Justin Pennick would say, my trepidations with Graham is the soft zone and the whole bend but don't break mentality. And Leslie Frazier had a shit ton of talent in Buffalo, and that's what they did on defense. They did the bend but don't break mentality, and they still played top-notch football, got to the quarterback, interceptions, turnovers, all that good stuff. They were one of the best defenses in the NFL. With that being said, if you don't have an offense, and this is straining back the past two years, really last year because the Giants just regressed as a team, if you don't have a good offense that's not going to score points, it really becomes time crunching if you have a bend but don't break mentality. And once again, that was not really Patrick Graham's philosophy. That's not really what he wants to do. But it just bothered me because... It soaks up time of possession, and that time of possession, if you're down by 7, 10, 13 points, it's not going to help you. And we noticed last year, the defense, they had a couple of bad games. They had a bad game against the Chargers. The Eagles game, I feel like they were put in really bad positions, so I can't say totally Eagles game. I thought the Bears game wasn't great. They did their best against the football team, 
Um, some other bad games. The Rams game was another bad position one because Daniel Jones kept turning over the ball over. Um, and also the, the Cowboys game, that wasn't good. One of his bigger fuck-ups, in my opinion, was that Washington game, the first one, where you had the first game against the Broncos when they were playing man coverage, you're trying to blitz, all that stuff. They were getting beat over the middle by Noah Fant and all these other guys. And then the second game, he plays Bradbury 10 yards off uh, Terry McLaurin, and then, what was it, 101 yards, 111 yards, something like that, a touchdown. Terry McLaurin had a game against James Bradbury where James Bradbury would normally lock down Terry McLaurin, being honest, but this is honestly the truth about Bradbury, and I've heard Panthers fans say this is the inconsistency of him, and Adoree Jackson really was the number one corner last year, and one of the things that I wasn't necessarily happy with Pat Graham about is that he didn't properly use Jabril Peppers in the box until week seven against the Panthers. That's when he got injured with the ACL injury. So a couple minor things. And Vic Fangio, I mean, he is being considered for the Jacksonville defensive coordinator job, even though he likely is not in the running for head coaching job. And Jacksonville hasn't even hired a head coach yet. That should tell you the organization they are. But, you know, Vic Fangio, he was a good defensive coordinator. He probably will be with another team with good talent. Don Martindale was really one of my top targets for defensive coordinator, really number one for me. And listen, if Pat Graham goes to the Minnesota Vikings, I'm sure that Brian Dable is going to have a phone call with Don Martindale. But my thing with Martindale was is he's super aggressive. And yes, that's what Pat Graham wants to be with good personnel. But you only really had, what, one good edge rusher in... Baltimore the last few years, you had Justin Houston the one year, I believe. You had Matt Judon for a couple of years. Didn't really turn into much of anything until his tenure with the Patriots, that's my opinion at least. I mean, he was a one-time pro bowler. But Judon was really like the number one, and then the rest of the defense, I mean, you had blind spots and you had good cornerbacks. But he really lifted the talent with his great coaching. That's what I felt. Multiple Pro Bowlers. Marlon Humphrey. Um, Jimmy Smith was a solid corner under him. Calais Campbell for a year. A couple other guys on that defense. And once again, 2021 was a bad year for the Ravens in general. Their defense was horrible, and that's why Martindale was fired. They parted ways. But with that being said, Martindale, 2019-2020, his defense was top 10, top 5 almost in both years. So if Pat Graham goes, listen, you better have a replacement. That better be Wink Martindale. I just feel like he utilizes under-talented defenses better. That's my personal opinion. We would need at least another linebacker, maybe another edge. But if you have the defensive backfield like... The past couple of years in Baltimore, it shouldn't be too much of an issue. It shouldn't be too much of an issue with blitz rate and all that other stuff. But that's my thing on defensive coordinator. If Pat Graham goes, we get a third-round pick this year, a third-round next year. That would be six picks in the top three rounds. And then obviously next year, building on draft picks. As Joe Shane says, we're going to compete for today, build for tomorrow, 
and we would get Don Martindale, at least in my theory. We would get Don Martindale, an experienced defensive coordinator, someone who's very aggressive, and you would probably see a little bit more of a turnover with that defense because I don't know that Tay Crowder's staying with Martindale and a couple other guys as well, but that's just my opinion. That's my sight on the whole defensive coordinator thing. With that being said, let's move to the next one. Daniel Jones, one of the few in the building during the winter storm. Obviously, if you guys kept track with anything, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Nor'easter, right? New York was a big recipient of snow this past weekend. And maybe it was because Joe Shane and Brian Dable came over. Maybe the gods knew, hey, you know, the Buffalo guys are coming to New Jersey. Why not treat it like Buffalo? No success. And I'm not saying Buffalo doesn't have success, but they don't have success. But let's give them some snow. Maybe that's what they said. But on a realistic note, Daniel Jones, I feel, has been one of those players that is just eager to get better. Now, I've said in the past, especially after that Bucks game, I don't think he's the franchise guy. And I'm not going to sit here and be a negative Nancy about it. Listen, that's my thoughts. I'm not going to keep imploding about him and putting an agenda out on Twitter like some of these other folks. That's just not me. I don't put an agenda out on Twitter for likes and clicks. I give my views when someone asks me. I don't tweet a thousand times a day about how somebody ruined my life. However, with that being said, Daniel Jones, he seems like a good person. Will he turn around after four different systems and four different coordinators, if I can count? Jason Garrett, Freddie Kitchens, and Mike Shula under Pat Shermer's system? It's very, very unlikely. The odds are against him. If they rebuild the O-line, the odds go up a little bit more. They go more in his favor. Same thing could be said with Saquon Barkley. We'll get to him in a little bit. But he seems like just the guy that wants to try, I guess, the hardest. And listen, I'm one guy, when I critique the Giants, the Yankees, whatever team, you can be a guy like that, but it has to show up on the field. But it's just, I guess, encouraging that Daniel Jones wants to get along with Brian Dable Wants to see what he's got. And Brian Dable even said in the presser that he wants Daniel Jones to talk to him about some of the plays at Duke and some of the plays that he likes to run. And to be honest with you, you really haven't seen that in the last couple of years of Giants football where the coaches actually care about the players. And I'm not saying that Daniel Jones can have an all-pro year or Brian Dable's going to win 10 games in his first season as a head coach. With that being said, it's an encouraging sign. I said on the last podcast episode... I'm not making predictions. I'm not going to say this, this, and this. I'm not doing anything like that because I would be either being too negative or I would be way too optimistic for my hopes to only sink during the season, in a rebuilding season, because Brian Dable is going to be given at least three years to turn this ship around. So there's that. Scheme will fit the players. I kind of just said that. The scheme will fit the players based on the players' And it revolves around the players. That's what it should be. I know that the Giants haven't had top-tier talent in the last few years, but you look at some of the 
guys they just released. And I'm talking the last few years in general. I'm not just talking about Joe Judge's regime or Pat Shermer's regime and the guys before him, but realistically, cutting Romeo Quara, seven sacks in Detroit. Same thing with Devon Kennard. Marcus Golden trading him, and, you know, he gets up alternate Pro Bowl nomination the next year and he was traded because he couldn't cover he was arguably one of the better rushers on the team he had what one and a half sacks two and a half sacks when the Giants traded him to Arizona so that's what I'm talking about with the scheme fitting the players it has to be that and we can't be saving roster spots for special teamers can't be doing that he likes to make jokes with the beat reporters Someone who was always fun like that. Like, Joe Judge was somewhat of a people person. Pat Shermer was a mumbling, jumbling fool. McAdoo, the same. But Brian Dable would always, in the press conference, say, Oh, how you doing? He would purposely interrupt them. I mean, that was obviously trying to get to know the beat reporters and see what they're about. And he was joking with them, which is fine, which is fine. He went after Matt Lombardo for being late. I mean, Matt Lombardo is an Eagles fan reporting on the Giants, so you got to know the bias there. And then Pat Leonard's Pat Leonard, and um, Brian Dable was making jokes about that guy from Giant Insider because he's from uh, Brooklyn. So there's that. Also, there's one more thing I want to add about the offense, and there's also a couple other things, but this one's a main one that a lot of people talk about. He is not committed to calling plays. And Joe Shane, when he was interviewed... I believe it was after before the presser, he said, my vision is that the offensive coordinator calls plays, not the head coach, but we'll see where we go from here. And Brian Dable said something similar in the press conference. He said, I'm not committed to calling plays. It's really for the offensive coordinator, but we'll see how that works. And there's a couple of different avenues you can go about it. And I know the Giants fans, including myself, really were not ready for another offensive-minded guy who was going to sit and call plays. We've had that the last couple of years. We had it under Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, guys before that. And they didn't really keep track of the other side of the ball. And sometimes, let's be real, the offense wasn't even good under an offensive-minded head coach. That's why I felt that a lot of people overrated Pat Shermer just a tiny bit. And I'm not saying that Daniel Jones didn't succeed in that system. That was his best year of his career. 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions with the turnovers as well. But that offense was ranked, what, 19th, 20th, 21st? Somewhere in that mid-tier range. It wasn't spectacular. I felt if it was you know more spectacular, Giants probably would have won more football games. But with that being said, going back to the narrative and stuff like that about calling plays, there's been some good examples of guys who call plays and know how to manage a football team, and there's bad examples of that. The bad examples, Matt Nagy, Pat Shermer, who likely is going to be a free agent coordinator. The Giants are not bringing him back, though. But honestly, if Aaron Rodgers goes, Green Bay could be a fit for Pat Shermer, even though they just hired their offensive line coach to be offensive coordinator. Um, Adam Gase was a bad example. He called plays and, you know, he couldn't manage either side of the football. His team was terrible under him. And then you have the good examples. Zach Taylor, 
Andy Reid, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur. A couple other guys are good examples. And I think talent makes a difference. And I also think that just managing skills makes a difference. We didn't see it under Joe Judge because it wasn't call plays on special teams. No. But there's different avenues you can go about when you're talking about offensive coordinators and stuff like that. I just mentioned one of them in terms of, no, we can't have Brian Dable calling plays because of the precedents that had been set by teams that were bad and their head coaches called plays and it didn't work. But you also have to remember this. This is an example that very little people will probably bring up to you. The Jets. And I'm getting this from a Jets fan. This is not me making up any conspiracy theories, stuff like that. The Jets offense really wasn't that good earlier in the year. They had a rookie offensive coordinator with a rookie quarterback. That rookie offensive coordinator was Michael LaFleur, the offensive coordinator from the San Francisco 49ers. And he was struggling calling plays. Then later in the year, he got better. Zach Wilson progressed. The offense progressed. The defense went to shit, though. And you could say the same for a defensive coordinator. And there's a lot of things that go into it because not just calling plays, but worrying about the quarterback, worrying about the offense in general. Because if the Giants keep Daniel Jones, run it back, or they select a quarterback to replace him at some point, Brian Dable can't be worrying about, oh, is this guy okay? Do I need to go over this with this guy? He's not an offensive coordinator anymore. He's a head coach. So you could realistically have a situation like this. You could have Ken Dorsey as the offensive coordinator on the sideline with the quarterback's coach. Brian Dable does not have to worry too much about the offense. He can worry about sides of the ball equally. Or what you can do is Brian Dable, obviously the head coach, worrying about what he needs to worry about. You could have Ken Dorsey in the booth, and I don't remember the last time a Giants offensive coordinator was in the booth calling plays. And then you could also have a quarterback's coach just dealing with the offense on the sidelines and position coaches really taking responsibility. Wide receiver coach, you know, just looks over the wide receivers. Quarterback's coach looks after the quarterbacks. Shea Tierney, that's another name to keep in mind, of him possibly coming to New York because I've heard from a couple of different sources just on Twitter and not sources of mine, but Grunt Talks, Bobby Thompson, I think he's been a big factor in terms of these head coaching interviews and especially with the Giants. So I want to give a shout outs to him. Ian O'Connor as well. I think he's one of the guys that has risen during this whole fiasco, but Jay Tierney could possibly follow some of the Buffalo staff to New York. And that honestly doesn't seem like much of a bad thing. Pull whoever you can that was successful in terms of positioning. I might want the tight ends coach, but obviously that's that's a different story. I'm probably going to be making videos across the week. Who should we hire for offensive coordinator? If we don't hire Dorsey or whatever the case may be, offensive line coach obviously is already done. I was going to make a video about offensive line coach. We'll get to that in the Bobby Johnson subject. No expectations start from scratch. He was talking about this also with the Cincy turnaround. He was asked about the Cincy turnaround. Two wins, four wins, and a Super Bowl appearance, which is very impressive, by the way. Lou Anarumo's defense, Zach Taylor's team. I thought Zach Taylor was going to get fired this year. Obviously, I was wrong. But with that being said, he said, you have to learn to crawl before you walk. 
And he said, no expectations. Basically, we're going to start from scratch, which is honestly where this team should be. This team should be here. I mean, not respectively like, oh, well, you know, they should be in the ground. You know, they should be here. No, 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 no. I don't want their expectations to be there. But with the first-year head coach, you should not be aiming playoffs or bust. No. Unless you have an established team and the head coach previously was fired due to some mismanagement issues, whatever the case may be, your expectations for another rebuild or a continuation of a rebuild or a different version should be progress with the team, getting better at the second half, four to six wins at most. As long as you're making progress within the team. If your offense is getting better down the stretch, if your offensive line is sinking, if not sinking as in like sinking the Titanic, but as in sinking together, gelling together, and then you have the defense, which is continuing from last year, or they get better down the stretch, that's the progress you want to see. You don't want to say, oh, well, eight, nine, ten wins. I'm going to just evaluate starting in September, obviously, what the process is going to look like, how I feel on it. Because with a new coaching staff, you can't say, oh, I'm going to predict this, I'm going to predict that, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. No, you can't predict a lot of stuff. And I said it when I was coming into podcasting in probably one of my first podcast episodes, which was almost two years ago. Weird to think about, tough to think about. I said I was a pretty much laid-back guy. Then when the Giants were expected to win 10 games, I started saying they were going to win the division, all that other shit. And I recanted that obviously when they weren't good, but I was pretty much a laid back guy, which is the mentality. I believe that giants fans should use laid back, see what happens and then go game by game, because this is not going to be, Oh, well, the offensive line gets better in two games. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So, you know, that's just, What's going to be put out there by multiple people, including Dable himself, obviously. He said, you have to learn to crawl before you can walk. And rebuilds, on the other hand, should not take four to five years. This is not 1981. This isn't 1984. This isn't 1994. This is not the days where rebuilds took years and years and years. Teams have turned it around in three years, two years, sometimes one year, sometimes one year. It's debatable with that depending on how many examples you can use but with that being said the rebuild needs to have progress it can't be lasting four or five years long but it can't be rushed either because if it's rushed and something goes kapooey well whose fault is it going to be so there's that and then just one more thing before we go to bobby johnson his resume and stuff like that we'll use the skill set of Saquon Barkley as best as they can. One of the things that Giant fans, including myself, have been complaining about is the lack of utilization of Saquon Barkley in the receiving game. Now, personally, I didn't watch film. I didn't pay attention to too many statistics or analytics based on running back, wide receiver, all that bullshit. But I realistically don't know. How they use Singletary, I know he was a prominent receiving back in Buffalo. Still is. I don't know if he really ever lined up as a wide receiver, like Saquon Barkley can be utilized as. So if the scheme's going to fit the players, I would like to see Saquon Barkley out wide once in a while. And he could score a touchdown, do whatever he can. 
I remember two plays in my head with Saquon out wide. 2018 against the Houston Texans, when Eli Manning threw it to Barkley to the 10-yard line, and the Giants punched it in with a Cody Latimer touchdown, I think it was. It was either Cody Latimer or Sterling Shepard. And then, obviously, this past year, the Saints, where he beats Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, touchdown, Giants. That's what got them back into the game. And that would help Daniel Jones, obviously, because that gives him another target. Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, all the other guys on the roster that they're probably going to bring in. And in an episode in the future, we'll go over some of the guys that are coming out in free agency for the Buffalo Bills because they're not going to be able to re-sign all of them. And their philosophy over there is probably going to be like our philosophy. Don't sign too many free agents, but also keep your guys. Ike Buttiger is a free agent. Manuel Sanders is a free agent if they're going to take that risk on an almost 35-year-old. Um, Ryan Bates, offensive lineman, is a free agent. Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, big parts of their pass rush, free agents. Maybe they come over here. It's going to be a very interesting offseason, probably the most exciting in terms of one I've probably have ever done uh, in terms of podcasting. So I'm going to take a sip real quick, and then we will talk about Bobby Johnson. We'll get you guys out of here. With that being said, let's talk about Bobby Johnson. Let's talk about his resume. He is 48 to 49 years old. He was born in Akron, Ohio. He went to Miami, Ohio College, the same college as Ben Roethlisberger. He started his coaching career in 1995 as a graduate assistant with Akron and then shifted to defensive line coach and held that position until 1998. In 1999, he went to his alma mater, Miami, Ohio, 1999, to 2004, tight ends coach and offensive line coach. So he goes to the offensive side of the ball. Then he goes to Indiana, 2005, 2009, as the offensive line coach. Moves up to the NFL ranks with the Buffalo Bills in 2010, 2011, as the assistant offensive line coach. In 2012, joined the Jacksonville Jaguars as the tight ends coach. His only year there. In 2013, 2014, was the tight ends coach and the assistant offensive line coach of the Detroit Lions. Served as a tight ends coach of the Oakland Raiders between 2015 and 2017 under the staff of Jack Del Rio. 2018, he actually worked with Dave DeGuelmo with the Indianapolis Colts as the assistant offensive line coach after that season. He moved over to the Buffalo Bills and was promoted to the offensive line coach position in 2019. So apparently... Sean McDermott and him knew each other. Someone said from Carolina. I don't see it because, to my recollection, there's really no connection between these guys. But with that being said, Bobby Johnson is our offensive line coach now. Some statistics, and I'm going to credit Bobby Skinner because he was using sack rate and had a couple of takeaways. I also have some takeaways as well. I contacted a good friend of mine, uh... Not as in, like, best friend, but a friend of mine who was really giving me insight on Leslie Frazier, Joe Shane, and Brian Dable, Dan Mitchell. Let me just look up the uh, podcast he does. So, the podcast he does, his name is Dan Mitchell, if you want to follow him on Twitter. And that's actually his YouTube channel, Dan Mitchell. So, please go out, subscribe to him, do all that good stuff. Uh, with that being said, 2019, the Buffalo Bills gave up the 15th least sacks, but 
They gave up 40 sacks, which isn't too great. In 2020, they gave up ninth least sacks in the NFL. Total number was 27. And then they gave up the same amount of sacks in 2021. It was the second least. So there's that. Now, my buddy Dan Mitchell says, and I asked him, how did the unit perform under Bobby Johnson? He says, great, man. But that was only when they had the starters. The Bills' offensive line depth was trash. When the starters were out, they struggled. As long as y'all have a decent depth and solid scheme. So there's that. Now let me get into what Bobby Skinner said. The Bills' sack percentage rankings under Johnson. 2021, they had the second best sack percentage at 4.0. In 2020, they had the seventh best at 4.3. And then they had the 21st best in 2019 at 7.2. So there is that. Also... Some notes on Bobby Johnson that Bobby Skinner took. Bobby doing notes on Bobby. Emphasis on daily drills to correlate to the scheme. Doesn't like vertical pass sets. Wants aggressive inside-out blocks to help recover. Players seem to like him. Sack rate was great. The pressure rate was bad. And he puts Josh Allen parentheses, which is probably meaning that Josh Allen created some of the sacks and the pressure because he's constantly rolling out of the pocket, and he does teach gap and zone. And I've seen a lot of negativity in terms of Bobby Johnson all over Twitter, and I work for a journalism company, a sports blog, better yet, named Last Word on Sports, and I've seen a couple of guys that are Buffalo Bills fans come out and say, well, it looks like the Bills didn't really do a good job and weren't trying to do a good job of retaining him because the unit constantly struggled and they weren't a good unit, middle of the pack at best. They were being negative on him. I'm not saying that's totally a bad thing because, listen, they probably know more than I do. So let me break it down like this. I'm going to take a sip because I have to. Here are my thoughts. I'm not going to make a total verdict on Bobby John, uh, Bobby Johnson yet. Here's why. I have zero to little knowledge on the offensive line. I know they had one Pro Bowl this past year. That was Deion Dawkins. With that being said, my eye, and I kept saying this on Twitter, was that I wanted the Giants fans, like myself, to pound the table for Mike Munchak. Many of you know Mike Munchak. The past two, three seasons was the offensive line coach for the Denver Broncos. Now, it still remains unclear whether he will be a Denver Bronco or will he be allowed to explore other opportunities. Now, also something to note, the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line coach is open for vacancy. So maybe he goes there and goes back. He's a possible Hall of Fame player. Now, I haven't looked too much into his career, but he has a lot of accolades. He was very, very good with the Pittsburgh Steelers from 2014 to 2018. Multiple Pro Bowlers, David DeCastro, Alejandro Villanueva. He was a defensive lineman coming out of 
Army, I think. He was a defensive lineman. Then he moved him on the opposite side of the football, and Villanueva, for a couple of years, was a pro bowler. Marquise Pouncey, a couple other guys. That offensive line was a top-tier unit. And then when he went to Denver under Vic Fangio, that unit really started to age, and it started to collapse, which obviously wasn't a good thing. Now, Denver's been middle of the pack in terms of offensive line, uh, you know, the last three years under him. And that's not really his fault. It's, it's in terms of uh, talent. I know they drafted Dalton Reisner in 2019. They drafted Lloyd Cushenberry, a couple others on the offensive line. Garrett Bowles has seen a resurgence in the last two years, so that probably is due to the coaching of Mike Munchak compared to the other guys before him. But I just wanted somebody, and this is just personal thoughts once again. I'm not going to say Bobby Johnson was a good hire or a bad hire. I'm not making a verdict. But this unit was not being fixed in one year. We all know that. But with young cats coming in, most likely at least two to three picks being spent on the offensive line, maybe a guard or a tackle that's, I don't know, a veteran free agent, something like that. You don't want to risk total bad coaching, and you don't want to risk something where, okay, your offensive line's not too talented, but your coach is not going to really lift them up. It's kind of like having a franchise quarterback. You don't want shit talent wide receiver either way. You want to get the best talent. But if you have mid-tier talent with a quarterback that's not going to lift them up, it's not going to be a great situation. So my thing is, Mike Munchak, he has a lot of accolades as a player, was a former offensive lineman himself, accomplished coach across the league, and very well-respected, come in a couple of years as the offensive line coach and coach the young cats. That was my philosophy on Mike Munchak. Coach the young cats because it's not like this unit's going to be fixed like that. I can't snap, so you know there's no reason for me to do it again And overall. But anyway... This unit was not going to be top-tier talented, but if you had a coach like Mike Munchak come in and really make this unit better than it looks, you could be having yourself a top 20, top 15 offense overall because of the production on the offensive line. So overall, I wanted Mike Munchak. I wanted the Giants to throw the bag at him. I kind of made an article based on who they should go get as coaches, I listed three of them, and two of them are out of the picture now, Munchak and Martindale, because it looks like Graham's going to stay unless he gets the job with the Vikings, and Bobby Johnson is already over as the offensive line coach, so Ken Dorsey's the only one left. Hopefully, hopefully he comes to New York. Hopefully I don't jinx him by publishing that article. But uh, with that being said, guys, if you haven't already, like, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or a video drops. Appreciate you all coming back. Boys in the Big Apple, 8, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday now. That's going to be like that. For the rest of time, hopefully, I don't want to keep changing it back and forth. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the NYY News TV channel. It's Twin Bill, me, and Lucas podcast. Keep an eye out during the baseball season. For a possible podcast with me in Sox, Arizona, I think that would be a very, very good 
piece of content. With that being said, guys, peace out. See you later. Stay cool, and let's go Giants.